0: Welcome to episode 103 of UConn 360, which is the only podcast that covers the University of Connecticut from every conceivable angle. 103 episodes. That's a lot. That is a lot. My name is Tom Breen. I'm your facilitator of sorts and joining me from beautiful Lakeside Studios.
1: We're actually in our studio for the first time in a very long time.
0: Yes. And joining me on the hot mic is Julie Bartuka. Julie. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Tom. How are you?
0: Good. As we're recording this, it's mid-October. Beautiful time on campus. Lot going on. We have a fantastic guest with us actually in the flesh today. This I is can't amazing. Believe it. it is amazing. But before we talk to him, let's talk about some news.
1: Yeah. There's some really great news on UConn today. Dr. Trisha M. Bailey, class of 99, who is a cross-country and track and field athlete, has committed the lead gift for what's going to be called the Bailey Student Athlete Success Center. She has made the largest cash contribution ever received by a UConn alumni and the largest ever gift dedicated specifically to UConn athletics to build this 80,000 square foot state-of-the-art facility, which is going to be where... The Greerfield House and the former Student Recreation Center are, and it's going to be amazing for student athletes for their academics and performance and all of that. So go read about the details when you come today.
0: Yeah, the announcement was part of the big Title IX 50th anniversary celebration, which mm-hmm. was over the weekend. It was really nice that Guy Gym has never looked better. But there were, I mean, a couple hundred uh, alumni who came back, and it was kind of fun to see people who had been teammates in the 80s and 90s kind of reconnect, and so it was, it was a lot of fun. Very uh, cool. And November 15th. It's a big day. It's fee-free application day. This is something that we've been doing recently at the university where for one day, if you apply on that day, we waive the $80 application fee. And this is a way to increase access for students who might be coming from economically disadvantaged backgrounds. And it's something that our admissions office really believes in. And, you know, by the fact that we had a record 42,000 applications (laughs) last year, it seems like it's paying off. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a new thing, and hopefully uh, we'll see it expanded a little bit.
1: Get your applications in on November 15th.
0: November 15th. I mean, unless you're already a student here, then don't. (laughs) What are you doing? All right. Well, so we we have an exciting guest. This is someone that you want to talk to? Yes. So do you want to tell us who we're going to meet?
1: So we've been interviewing a lot of our faculty members lately about, you know, all the amazing research that goes on, but we kind of are losing sight of the fact that UConn is obviously about the students. So I wanted to talk to somebody who is really in that world. And it's funny, the stories that we just mentioned kind of all tie into what he does. UConn Magazine's new issue drops this week, and there's a really fun story with this guest, and it's not really about what he does here at the university. So we're going to dig into that a little bit, but we're also going to ask him about what's in that magazine feature. I would like to welcome Leo Latchett, who's director of the Academic Achievement Center and an assistant director for first-year programs and learning communities. Welcome. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here.
1: It's great. It's great to meet you in person. You've been at UConn for 25 years supporting students, especially those who are the first in their families to go to college. And this year, one quarter of the entering class here at UConn is made up of first-generation college students. So what are some of the ways that you support those students in your work?
2: Yeah, I just crossed over my 25-year anniversary. Congrats. Yeah, that was, thanks. It was a... One of those moments of, wow, that was quick, 25 years. And, I, and I've been in a few different roles here at UConn, and I started my career with the student Sports services program here on campus that actually Trish Bailey was part of when oh, she wow. was an undergrad before my time a little bit. But that program serves first-generation, low-income population, and so it's always been a passion of mine. I'm also a first-gen alum of UConn wow. as well, and so working in that program was great. It was wonderful. It's an excellent program. And when I moved into this role in director of academic support, I was just curious about other students who were the first gen that were not in those programs. So we started digging a little bit and pulled some data and found out that, you know, due to resources, our SSS program, how great it is, can only serve about 10 to 15 percent of the first gen population. So I said, well, let's build some programs for Everyone else at UConn who identifies as first gen, and it's blossomed since then. It's been really exciting. We've built undergraduate programs, graduate programs, faculty and staff. Programs. We'll be celebrating National First Gen Day this year on November 8th and with a week-long of events. It's turned into a week. So it's been fun doing that. We've also applied to be recognized by the national organization. So we're also, UConn's a first-gen forward institution, okay. which means it receives support and resources and direction. And we have a small team that, that leads new efforts across campus for first-gen students. So it's been fun being part of that as well, to, to receive that designation, but then also be connected at the national level for supporting first-gen students. In addition to my job, it's been fun leading all these different initiatives across campus and, and our regional campuses. Almost 50% are first-gen. So we help support
0: the regional campus and their efforts as well for first-gen students.
1: Great.
0: And given that you have first experience as a first-gen student yourself, I mean, wh- what kind of difference are we talking about when you were a student? What kind of resources were available then compared to now? Is it night and day pretty much? So
2: as an undergrad, yeah, I was here in the 80s. It was a different place. And I, when I do the parent welcome here now as, as an employee, I remind the alum it's, it's a different place. It wasn't a thing. I, I didn't realize what first gen really meant. And, and for a lot of folks, it's still true today. I'm the youngest of four. So my older brother, Greg, was here and I just followed in his footsteps. So whatever Greg did, that's what I did. But then one of my favorite pieces is in my last semester at UConn, in my eighth semester finishing out, someone said, you know, what are your plans? Are you going to graduate school? And I said, sure. What's graduate school? (laughs) And, and, and it was, you know, April of, so that's not going (laughs) to happen, you know? So I had to kind of figure all that out and navigate some of that as well as a first gen student. And luckily I've had some friends and colleagues who said, I'm going to this program. You want to join me? And I said, sure. And we kind of figured it out from there.
0: I think some people who, if they've come from a family where like multiple generations have gone to college, they kind of take for granted some of these things. Mm -hmm. And I've had a chance to know some students who are first generation who, you know, even something as simple as office hours, you know, a professor will say first week, my office hours are this and, and the students will think, I don't know what that is. And just things like that. So these programs are super, super helpful for people who really might not have much idea of what the college experience is.
2: It's pretty complex. My wife and I, we have a daughter who's a senior here. And so when she came as a freshman, I sat in the, you know, the, the presentations from, to hear from colleagues and friends and what what the university message was. And even as a, as a 20 plus year employee, I said, wow, it's pretty complex to navigate all the different pieces. And, and parents are amazingly supportive, but if they haven't had that experience, you know, it's, it's tough for a student to navigate that. You know, I've had students, you know, just recently say they paid their fall bill and didn't realize that there's a spring bill. So Mm. they thought what they paid in the fall was it. So now we need to navigate a whole nother process for them. So still a lot of work to be done, still a lot of students out there. People are surprised that the numbers are so high of first gen students, but that's our state institution. We're here to support our state. Absolutely.
1: Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the programs that the Academic Achievement Center offers? Obviously, it must be pretty individualized what students really need to succeed here.
2: So the AAC or the Academic Achievement Center falls under first-year programs, but we work with all students, even graduate students come through to meet with us. It was started in 2009. My predecessor, Kevin Sullivan, uh, was a longtime employee, and he developed the center run by students to support them in their strategies to study and and really peer-to-peer kind of work. I joined the, the team in 2014 and was tasked with developing a more holistic support center. So a lot of folks just say, well, what does that mean? So we do all the study strategy things, but then we'll also talk to students about navigating you kinda navigating different courses and, and putting the pieces together. So yeah, really an individual kind of way of working with students. We've tried to normalize the help-seeking behavior of it all. About 15,000 students every year use some part of the AAC or the Academic Achievement Center with an average GPA of a 3.2 or 3.3. So the whole idea is that, You use the services regardless of where you stand. So we have really high-performing students, middle-of-the-road students, and students like myself as an undergrad who are figuring (laughs) it out and takes them a minute to figure it out. But we do that by coaching, mentoring, workshops, presentations, and I have about 50 to 60 undergrads who help run the center every year, too, which is fun to have them connected with us. And a small team of professional staff as well that are outstanding.
1: Great. Great.
0: Obviously, some things are, are always going to remain true of the student experience, but have you seen student needs change in 25 years you've been doing this? Of what students ask about changed at all? It's really
2: interesting that you ask that. I watch the admission numbers and, and every year it's amazing of you know, the students who walk in the door, but they're so talented and they're so academically gifted and, and they work really, really hard. But the issues are, are the same. Still navigating UConn, navigating decision-making, navigating how I'm going to put all this together, how it's different from my high school experience. I talk to students all the time, and I ask them you know, about their high school and their high school experience. And some have high school classes that are smaller than one of their math classes here at UConn. Mm-hmm. So the size, the intimidating piece. But then, But then also they realize how quickly they build a community here, whether it's in part of their learning community or their FYE class or just the folks on their floor, that they do build lifelong friends in in a, a community here.
1: That's one of the huge things I worked with the Office of Admissions for a long time, creating the materials to kind of recruit students. And that's always something we would hear when talking to students is, you know, UConn's so big, UConn seems so big, but, like, you immediately can find your community here. So that's awesome to hear from you, too. You mentioned FYE courses, and you're kind of a beloved instructor of some of those. I saw some of your reviews (laughs) online. You teach a course about happiness, right?
2: So that class came out of COVID time, actually. We made a commitment during 2021 to be in person with as many FYE classes as we could for the folks who are on campus. My graduate intern at the time... And I were looking for something to do and we enrolled in the, the happiness class down at Yale. It's an excellent class. It's one of the largest classes on happiness in the country, I think. So we started talking and we said we should put together our own. And, and we borrowed some of her information and stuff from positive psychology. And we put together the happiness class on Fridays during COVID here, Hmm. you know, required watching pursuit of happiness movie and those kind of things. And, uh, The students were incredibly grateful because it was in person. You know, We'd finish class and we'd say, have a good week, and they'd still be sitting there. And they'd be like, you can go back to your dorm now. And they're like, but you're the only humans we talk to all week. So that in itself became a community of itself. And they really enjoyed, A, meeting together, B, talking about happiness in that really difficult time here on campus. It was hard for a lot of students who who were here on campus, the loneliness, the isolation, the challenge of the college experience not being what I expected and what I thought the picture was going to be. So so that class has been fun, and and we'll be bringing it back this spring. So that's exciting. And then I also have a counseling background. So my little intro to counseling class I've been doing for a very long time. It's called Developing the Counselor Within. And it's for folks who want to go into the helping profession to get a taste of it or I get folks who are in the medical field, and they just want to develop that, that building rapport skill kind of thing. So it's been, that's been fun. I've been doing that probably at least 15 or more years as, a, as an FYE 1820, that topic-based class yep. that we do.
0: You're featured in UConn Magazine in the, the moonlighting section, which is all about people's side hustles. In <laughs> right. your case, that's a that's limo driver. Without violating what you call the limo code And the story, right. is, there a, is there a story you can share with us that you're particularly fond of?
2: Well, yeah, it will, it's, it's kind of funny. I'm often encouraged to write a book and change the names for privacy. But <laughs> I've been doing that a very, very long time as well. I think I have shared that I started when I was in grad school, you know, I was doing an internship and practicum hours and going to class and I needed that job, just odd hours. And I saw an ad in a paper. And I just showed up and applied. And then I became a limo driver ended up knowing the owner and and hanging around for many many years i've been very lucky i've done people's happiest occasions of their lives weddings and celebrations and anniversaries i've been part of make-a-wish events so some really kind of cool things so i've had fun nights i've had funny nights i've had awkward nights (laughs) but yeah so there's a little bit of a code you know you you don't share what happens that kind of thing I love weddings. It's so much fun, and people are just really having an amazing day, and I get to be part of that. And people are like, don't you just drive the car? Um, (laughs) But I often share that, well, I'm the last person before the bride goes down the aisle, so I've gotten very good at fluffing the bride's train (laughs) and and i do that pretty well and i actually about a weekend ago did a a colleague's sister's wedding and i had that opportunity when folks know who's part of their day and know it's going to go smoothly it's fun i've been trying to think of all the many stories what can i share what you know (laughs) i don't know what this podcast is rated but um (laughs) i used to go to the city a lot when i was driving a, a lot more and i was lined up in front of a broadway show house with a bunch of limos and uh Another driver, I had no idea who he was, asked, he's like, will you watch my car? I'm going to go use the men's room. And I'm like, sure. (laughs) So he comes in and goes out. And I said, well, where's that? And he goes, well, just go in this door on the side of the theater, and it's right there. I said, okay, so... I go, will you watch my limo? And he says, sure. So I go in and I'm, you know, curtain, curtain, curtain. And and I see all these people just walk. I'm actually backstage <laughs> in a Broadway show. I've taken a wrong turn. And I was waiting to end up out on front of stage or whatever. <laughs> but there's a lot of those moments. The clients I've worked with have been uh, amazing. You get regular clients. I had a woman that would, she'd go shopping and get her hair done and weekly. And, That's so and, sweet. and this kept her independence. Um, wow. She was an older lady, an older woman. And she loved the fact that, You know, she would have a guy come pick her up and take her on her errands. And one day we went shopping for curtains. <laughs> so I was in Ethan Allen, and they're like, did you bring your own security to buy curtains? And I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just your driver. But a lot of late nights, but like I said, it, it's still fun. I still do it a little bit here and there, and, and it's fun that the the magazine picked up on that.
1: That's great. Well, I want to encourage everyone to check out that story. Leo does share some more really nice, fun stuff in there, and I love how you talk about how it, the counseling piece of you kind of plays into both jobs. So thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun. And everybody go check out edu for that:
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All right. All right. So this, I guess week <laughs>
1: this month, this, this episode this year:
0: Instead of a strictly history topic, I want to talk about an article that people could read on Yukon today uh... about an extremely important topic that's very near and dear to our hearts.: <laughs> Yes. It is the correct spelling of the name Yukon shouldn't be that difficult. The
1: correct case, I would say.: The right? correct
0: case, it is capital U. Capital C, lowercase O, lowercase N, capital N. No, lowercase N. All lowercase after the C.
1: Imagine if it was just a capital N at the end. That'd be amazing. Uh,
0: our colleague, Tyler Morris, he wrote a very fun story about this. And also, I think I can break the, the fourth wall here a little bit or offer you a peek backstage. Tyler also posed for the art <laughs> that yes. accompanied yes. the story. But, you know, we've had a lot of names in our history. We were originally the Store's Agricultural School. hmm And then the stores Agricultural College and then Connecticut State College. And I don't know why it's so hard, but we see UConn in all caps all the time as if it's an acronym.
1: And I want to say that, you know, a lot of people who work here use it. Yeah. Not just people on the Twitters.
0: Nope. Nope. You see it from people. And I don't know why. It's not an acronym. Now, some people get confused because when they see it, like, on the jerseys of the teams. Yes.
1: Or on our signs. Or on our signs.
0: It's all caps. But. But, you know, if you take out a dollar bill and you look at United States of America, it's in all caps. Yeah. Or your Amex
1: card. Their their logo is American Express in all caps. But do you write that? No. you say? No, No, you you don't. don't. I'm sorry, guys. We're getting real salty about this. We're being a little, a little not nice, but it's really. I loved Megan Bard's quote in the yes. story. Megan Bard is an alum and a writer for the Dimeback UConn Sports Blog, and she said something about how pedantic she is. And I'm my husband always calls me a pedant, so it's it's really something that grinds our gears.
0: But it, like it is our name, and like, yeah. it, it shouldn't be that. And I will say though, the people who write it in all caps, you're wrong. But at least you're better than the Washington <gasps> Post,
1: oh, which
0: yeah. almost gets it right because they don't capitalize everything, but they insert a hyphen between U and C. It
1: doesn't make any sense. Is it because it's a separate word? It but is. I'm sure there's, again, a million examples of...
0: They also do the same thing to UMass. <sighs> but it's it feels like a, a very old-fashioned thing.
1: It's interesting because I am, you know, I'm a stickler for grammar and style, and that's one of my roles here. I, I go through things and make sure that we're following the right style. We follow AP style for most things, but... I know newspapers often have their own style, but why would you want one that so diverges from everything else you see? It it
0: reminds me of the Chicago Tribune under Colonel McCormick, the owner in the early 20th century. I wasn't there for it, obviously. (laughs) But he had had his own way of spelling things. So like – Okay, so in the 20s, Al Capone, most famous person in Chicago. Yeah. And they spelled his name with an I at the end instead of an E because Colonel McCormick insisted it sounded more foreign, in which case it must be more correct because Al Capone was from Italy.
1: It's wild. Yeah,
0: and there are all kinds of like weird tribune spellings for things that he thought the should colony. be spelled differently.
1: Just, he just wanted to take over and make – well, we've, we've learned. We've all learned that language is evolving it is, constantly. But
0: it's never going to evolve to a point where UConn is an all Capone. As long
1: as we – both
0: so yeah this isn't a proper history corner but this is a psa this is a public it's, service it's a, announcement but yeah go read the story though it's read cute. The story. it is a very funny it's story.
1: serious and funny at the same time yeah
0: and if you you want to read it you can go to today.yukon.edu you can also i tweeted about it so you can follow me on twitter at tj breen you can follow yukon 360 on twitter at yukon podcast because for some reason we couldn't get yukon 360 and i forget yeah, i think it was taken yeah but they can follow you
1: yeah at julie bartuka there's not a lot there I stop I mostly just like other things <laughs> and retweet That's
0: good that's positive though it's positive on social media. Yeah. and so that's it for this week. If you've noticed, who knows we've've we've been we've taken a more leisurely approach to the scheduling.
1: We did have someone a fan tell us that you know they missed us. So.
0: We did so you yeah, know we're, we're back we're gonna be. We're, more, here. we're gonna we're be just, more you know we're gonna be more conscientious. Its just we have expanded responsibilities and without our third amigo, yeah, it's a little harder. but thank you for listening. Follow us on the internet and uh, I I can't say Fortnite anymore, but just, you know, keep checking the spaces or checking your phone. You should subscribe so it'll just show up when we do an episode.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.